Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from Leviticus um, chapters 21 and 22. Chapter 21. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister, who is near to him because she has had no husband. For her, he may make himself unclean. He shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people, and so profane himself. They shall not make bald patches on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beard, nor make any cuts on their body. They shall be holy to their God, and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the Lord's fruit offerings, the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. They shall not marry a prostitute or woman who has been defiled, neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father. She shall be burned with fire. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy things. But he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar, because he has a blemish, that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Chapter 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, so that they may abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. Say to them, If any one of all your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord, while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. And if anyone eats of a holy thing unintentionally, he shall add the fifth of its value to it and give the holy thing to the priest. They shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, which they contribute to the Lord, and so cause them to bear iniquity and guilt by eating their holy things. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering, for any of their vows or freewill offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish, of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord, to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock, to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When an ox or sheep or goat is born, it shall remain for seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day on it shall be acceptable as a food offering to the Lord. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. 
And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Jimmy, for reading so well for us, for Michael, who led us, and also the worship team for leading us in singing. My name is Z. I'm the pastor here, lead pastor here at One Covenant Church. If I have not met you, we'd love to get to know you after the service. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we seek God's help to understand His Word this morning? Father, we thank you that this is your Word. We pray that as we open up your Word, you would drive us to Christ to see His beauty and to see who we are in His presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, if you've just joined us, uh, we are in the book of Leviticus, and some of you have been asking, when will Leviticus end? Uh, let me just say to you, Leviticus is ending in about four weeks. There are about four more messages in the book of Leviticus. Uh, I'll be preaching this one next week with Elder Aaron preaching, and then Su Yang, our student intern, he'll be preaching for us. And then I'll close off the book at the end of this month. Uh, following that, we will have Pastor Tan Su Yin, a friend of mine, who will come for just one session to talk about spiritual friendship. And then in October, we'll begin a new series in the book of Romans, chapter 9 to 11, and that will take us all the way to Christmas and to the end of the year. So please, okay, tahan a bit longer. Okay, I know Leviticus has not been easy, but as you've worked your way through Leviticus, I can promise you, you will draw rich dividends from the book. Uh, we saw last week that Leviticus 18 to 20 covers how God's people are to treat one another. It's God's social order. Today in Leviticus 21 and 22, the two chapters that we're covering, God tells us what he expects of spiritual leaders, what he wants his priests to be like, how the priests are to be qualified. So it moves from the people to the priests. And as you read through Leviticus 21 and 22, what you will, struck, what you will be struck by is that God expects very high standards for his leaders, higher standards than what he expects of his people. God expects high standards of his leaders. Now this same theme of God expecting higher standards for his leaders is continued in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus himself said, everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, these are the two passages that gives us the qualifications for elders and deacons, the officers of the New Testament church. It tells us that elders and deacons must be above reproach. In James chapter 3, verse 1, the apostle James says, not many should become teachers because those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So friends, Leviticus 21 and 22, in some sense, is the Old Testament equivalent of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. It gives us God's high standards for the leaders that he wants. So some of you are spiritual leaders. That's what you aspire to. But some of you, you are involved in putting in place spiritual leaders in the church. You vote. And these are the kind of leaders that God wants to have us to have in the church. So as we look at Leviticus 21 and 22, it gives us the kind of qualifications, the kind of persons that God wants us to have as those who are leading the church. Now, friends, it's very important for us to bring the right spirit to Leviticus 21 and 22. And one very important thing for us to notice is this. The God who requires high standards is the same God who enables his people to live up 
to those high standards. Let me say that again. The God who requires high standards is the same God who enables his people to live up to those high standards. If you take a quick glance to Leviticus 21 and 22, you will notice a refrain, a phrase that is communicated over and over and over again. It begins in Leviticus 21 verse 8, where it says, I am the Lord. I am the God who sanctifies you. I am the God who makes you holy. And that phrase is repeated in verse 8, verse 15, and verse 23 of Leviticus chapter 21. It's repeated again in Leviticus 22, verse 9, 16, and 32. So God says, I want you to be holy. But he also says, I'm the one that makes you holy. God says to the spiritual leaders, I want you to keep these high standards. But God also says, I am the one who makes sure that you can keep these standards. What God requires, God supplies to his people and to his priests. So friends, this is the spirit that we will bring to Leviticus 21 and 22. Yes, you will feel a challenge, but you will also feel great comfort. Yes, you will be exhorted, but you will also be encouraged because God is the one who makes sure that the high standards that he expects of his people and his priests are indeed kept. So there are four things, friends, that we want to see in this text this morning. The leaders must be dedicated, able, careful, and accepted. Dedicated, able, careful, and accepted. Come with me to Leviticus 21, verse 1 to 4. The first area where the dedication of the leader is expressed is in the way that he mourns the dead. In Leviticus 21, verse 1 to 4, God tells the priest that he can only take part in the funeral arrangements of his closest relatives. For the high priest, the leader among the priests, if you look at verse 11, it says that this high priest cannot even take part in the funeral of his own father and his own mother. Now, especially in Asia, we look at this, it's like, well, like what in the world is going on here? Is God saying that mourning your relatives is not important? Well, no, not exactly. He is saying it's important. But what he's saying is there are things that are even more important than mourning the deaths of your relatives. Look at verse 6, the second part of verse 6. Why is it that the priest and the high priest have these restrictions with regard to funeral arrangements? For they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God. They are the ones who make the sacrificial offerings daily at the temple. And when they come into contact with a dead body, they become ceremonially unclean. And ceremonially unclean priests cannot make the holy sacrifices. So what Leviticus 21 is teaching us is this. There is something that's even more important than mourning the dead, as important as it is. And it's making the sacrifices. Now, friends, why? You see, friends, at this point in history, in the book of, in the Bible, the sacrifices were needed to atone for sin. So if the priest could not make these sacrifices, there was no way for sin to be atoned for, and there was no way for the people to dwell safely in God's presence without dying. And therefore, the priests had to be dedicated to their task of making the daily sacrifices. 
Now, friends, Jesus says something similar in Luke chapter 9, verse 60. He calls someone to follow him, to be his disciple. The person says to Jesus, let me bury my father first. But Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 60, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, is Jesus saying it's not important for you to be sad uh, when your father dies? It's not important for you to bury your father? Not at all. But what he is saying is that there is something even more important than burying your dead, burying your father. And that is to proclaim the kingdom of God, to proclaim the gospel of God. Why, friends? Because without the gospel of the kingdom, sins cannot be atoned for and people cannot dwell safely in God's presence without dying. It's a matter of priority. God is saying there's something more important for you to do, priests, something more important for you to do, spiritual leader, than even mourning the dead. So the first task, the first way that the dedication of the leader is expressed in the, is in the way that he mourns the dead. But secondly, from verse 7, this dedication is shown in who he marries. So it's from mourning to marriage. Look at verse 7. God tells the priests they must not marry a prostitute, a defiled woman, or a divorced woman. For the high priest, verse 14, he must marry a virgin. Now why? Well, we're given the reason in verse 15, that he may not profane his offspring among his people. You see, friends, in those days, the priesthood, that arrangement at that point in time, was passed on from generation to generation, from father to son. And so the purity of the bloodline was very important to preserve. The priest had to make sure that this son was indeed his. And therefore, these rules apply. Now, friends, church leadership today is not the same. It's not passed down from father to son. Or at least it's not supposed to be passed down from father to son. It's different. So the rules have changed drastically. They no longer apply as they used to. But, friends, in the New Testament, marriage still makes or breaks the spiritual leader. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 and 12, it says that elders and deacons must be one woman men. They must be men who are faithful to one woman. They cannot be players. They cannot have a string of girlfriends. They must be faithful these are the men that will make good leaders. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, there are requirements for the wives of deacons, and I think these apply to the elders' wives as well. They must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. The dedication of the leader is not only demonstrated in how he mourns the dead, the dedication of the leader is also demonstrated in whom he marries. Now, friends, you might not expect good marriage advice from this person, but Warren Buffett, the billionaire investor, he once said this, there have been two turning points in his life, one when he came out of the womb and one when he met his first wife, Susie, who died in 2004. He said, what happened with me would not have happened with, without her. Marry the right person, Buffett says. I'm serious about that. It will make all the difference in your life. It will change your aspirations, all kinds 
of things. We need to be careful in terms of who we marry. It can make or break the leader. Finally, friends, from Leviticus 21 verse 9, the dedication of the leader is not just shown in how he mourns the dead and whom he marries, but also in how he manages his family. Leviticus 21 verse 9. The daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burnt with fire. Now this whoring here probably refers to cult prostitution. So it's not just immoral, it's idolatrous. It's the daughter of a priest who has been exposed to the holy things of God, coming to a point where she gives herself not just to prostitution, but prostitution as part of pagan worship to a pagan deity. That's what it's about here. Not just immorality, but idolatry. And the question must be asked, why is the punishment so harsh? Why is it so harsh? I just have to say this before we continue. One commentator, I think very wisely pointed out that although this command is here, there's actually no evidence in the rest of scripture that this actually happened and this sentence was actually carried out. Why do you think that's the case? Well, friends, because that's precisely how the warnings of Scripture work. The warnings of Scripture are there to prevent us from going there. The warnings of Scripture want us to keep on the straight and narrow by telling us what can happen if we stray from the straight and narrow. And because the warning is there, and we take it seriously, we actually don't need to go there. So friends, this is here to tell us that this is a very serious thing. For a spiritual leader to have a son or a daughter go wayward is not a nothing. It is a serious thing. And it's a way of urging the priest more positively to take care of their families. In other words, friends, Leviticus 21 verse 9, in some ways, is the Old Testament equivalent to 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 4 and 5. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 4 and 5. And this is what it says. Elders, pastors, must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Or Titus 1 verse 6, his children must be faithful and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. It's telling the priest that if you want to learn how to manage God's household well, you begin by managing your own household well. And the better you manage your own household, the better you'll be able to manage God's household. You see, friends, there are two mistakes that spiritual leaders make when it comes to family. One is to neglect the family, and the other is to idolize the family. Now, neglecting the family takes this kind of shape. There's a kind of piety that goes around certain circles that, you know, the person comes before God and says, look, I'll take care of the church. You take care of my family. I take care of your family, God. You take care of my family. Now, on the surface, it sounds very dedicated, isn't it? Wow, this man is giving himself to serve the church, and he's even, you know, setting aside his family in order to serve the church. Wow, so dedicated, yeah? 
But look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. It flies in the face of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 because God says that's not true dedication. True dedication is you are dedicated to your household and you are dedicated to the church. You cannot just say, hey, this one, uh, no need, uh, God, you take care. I take care of this one. No, God says you manage your household well, you're dedicated to your household, and that will give you what you need to manage the affairs of the church. So we're not called to neglect our families in the service of God. And one of the reasons we do, friends, to be honest, is not because we're dedicated to God. It's because we're dedicated to ourselves. Why, friends? I cannot remember the last time someone came up to me and pat me on the back and said, hey, you're a great father. I can remember the last time someone patted me on the back and said that was a great sermon. You see, being a good father is hidden. It's behind the scenes. Nobody sees it. You don't get the commendation of other people, maybe your wife, but otherwise, not really. Being up front and preaching sermons and leading great crusades, everybody sees it. You know what that happens, friends, when I neglect my family to give myself to these things and everything's falling apart at home, but I'm still up here preaching? You, you know what that is? That's idolatry, friends. That is dedication to myself. That is not dedication to God. So the first thing God calls spiritual leaders to is true dedication, where we manage our households well. And as we manage our households well, that bleeds into how we manage our families. Now, how does that work? Uh, it's a bit easier to do this in the first service because it's got more kids. But uh, all parents, you want your kids to grow up into amazing people, right? That's one thing, right? You, you, you do? Okay, those of you who are parents or parents-to-be, okay? Uh, you don't want them to mess up their lives, right? By and large, right? That's, that's what parents want, right? Grow up into become amazing people, not mess up your lives. Now, what do you need to do to make sure that they grow up into amazing people and they don't mess up their lives? Two things. You need to be their chief encourager, you need to be the one there cheering them on, pointing them forward, saying you can do it, comforting them when they fall, spending time with them. You need to be their chief encourager. But the second thing you need to do is you need to be their chief protector. Because you are the parent, God has given you foresight that they may not see. Certain things with foresight, with hindsight, they will see it, but with foresight, they will not. You as a parent need to look forward and say, hey, you know, that's not a good idea. These two things must come together if our children are to grow up into amazing people who don't mess up their lives. You must be the chief encourager and the chief protector of your child. And that's how they grow. That's what you must do as parents. Guess what, friends? How do people flourish in God's church? The spiritual leaders need to do two things. They need to be the chief encouragers. They need to look at the people and say, hey, you're doing a great job. Hey, keep going. Okay, that's, you're disappointed. Never mind. Let's, let's, let's pray. Let's, let's cry over this, but let's get going. You're doing well. God is with you. You need to be a chief encourager, but you also need to be a chief protector. You also sometimes need to say to the people in the church, not a good idea, not good. And can I tell you again, friends, that this is not easy. As a people pleaser, it is so much easier to be the chief encourager, not so much the chief protector. You know why? Everyone loves you when you're encouraging them, when they're crying, you're like, you can, you can. Everybody loves you for that. But someone comes to you and has this great ministry idea, but you say, um, not a good idea. Or oh, they get very hurt. 
They get very upset with you. They get very angry with you. And then you have to bear that. Sometimes, my friends, the reasons why we don't want to say the hard things to people in church is not because we're dedicated to the church or dedicated to the God. We're idolizing ourselves. We're dedicated to ourselves. And friends, this is where the gospel comes in. Because if we are secure in God and the good news of God, we will become both our families and the God's family's chief encouragers and chief protectors. And that is how your family and the family of God can grow up into amazing people who do not mess up their lives but do great things for the glory of God. Can I hear an amen? amen. I have to compete with next door. Can I hear an amen? amen. Where was I? So that's one, okay? We are neglecting our families. But the other is to idolize the families. And this is where, for some leaders, you are called to do something for God. But your families have taken an inordinate place in your life that you basically say, I can't because of my family. Now, having said that, there are times and seasons that this is very important. As a spiritual leader, I must say to certain things, no, for the sake of my children, for the sake of my wife. But here's the thing, friends. Here's, to know, here's the way to know whether you're idolizing your family. Do you find it easy or difficult to say no to your children? Do you find it easy or difficult to say no to your children? Cindy finds it easier to say no. I find it very hard. Why? Because I want them to love me. I want them to say, you're the greatest father on earth. But you know what, friends? I will not be the greatest father on earth if I'm always saying yes to everything. They'll probably have no teeth, diabetes, and make really horrible decisions in life. As a good father, I need to be able to say no to that candy. It's going to spoil your teeth. And guess what, friends? That's exactly what the church needs as well. But sometimes, friends, we are so caught up in needing that identity from our children that we do not say no to them. Christ and his gospel is what gives us that place of security so that we can say no to them, not idolize them, and be truly the kind of fathers that we need to be, helping them to grow up, and yet at the same time, serving the needs of the church. A spiritual leader shows his dedication through how he mourns the dead, whom he marries, and how he manages his family. Secondly, the spiritual leader must be able. Look at verse 17. None of your offspring throughout the generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. In verses 18 to 20, there's a list of 12 physical blemishes, physical disabilities that prevents a priest from making the sacrifices. Verse 23 tells us why that he may not profane my sanctuaries. Now, can I just say, this is a passage that is especially painful to our friends who have physical disabilities. Uh, some of you know the name Joni Erickson Tata. She is uh, a great encourager, a great Christian author and teacher. She's encouraged many people. Uh, at the age of 17, uh, she had a diving accident and she lost, um, she's basically paralyzed from her neck down. Uh, she spent many years trying to make sense of a disability, and she actually shares that as she read these verses, she was so upset and angry. She felt, my God has a problem with my disabilities. 
Now, I'm going to come back to that a bit later in the sermon. Uh, but just to let us know, friends, this passage is exceptionally painful for friends of ours who are in the church and in the body of Christ who suffer with physical disabilities. So let me just say three things from this passage. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says that although they cannot make the offerings, they can still eat the bread of God. Remember in a sermons a while ago, the priests, they could not work in any other way, so they received all of their livelihood from the temple. So this says that even though these priests who are disabled are not able to make the sacrifices, it does not mean that they lose their priesthood. They still remain priests. It does not mean that they lose their personhood. They are still people of value. There are other things in the temple offerings, temple duties that they can do except offering at the tabernacle. They continue to be valuable people, keeping the priesthood, keeping their personhood, people of value that God and his people continue to value. So that's number one. They do not lose their personhood or their priesthood even as a result of their disabilities. But secondly, this is actually an act of care. You see, making the sacrificial offerings was a very physical and onerous endeavor. They had to be able to slaughter large animals like an ox, peel off the skin, transfer the blood, deal with the inarts, cut the meat, start the fires, burn the offerings. All of these would have been challenging even for an able-bodied priest, let alone someone with some form of a physical disability. So in that sense, this isn't, being, this isn't discriminating against them. It's showing them practical care. Number three, the nature of Christian leadership today has changed in such a way that a wider range of possibilities for people who have disabilities has opened up. No longer is Christian ministry so physical in nature as it was before, although some aspects of Christian ministry might be physical. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, elders must be able to teach. They must have the ability to teach, which means it doesn't matter how physically fit they are. It doesn't matter how many PhDs they have. If they stand before you and they open up the Bible and no one understands what they're saying, they cannot teach, they cannot be elders, they cannot be pastors. Simple as that. But having said that, it opens up opportunities for people of various abilities. Dr. Lamar Hartwick, I read this story a few years ago. He's a pastor who was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Now, before he was diagnosed, his church had many issues with him. They struggled with him because they felt, you know, he, he doesn't form relationships very easily. Uh, his facial expressions are always uh, awkward. Uh, he always looks angry and, and tired all the time. Uh, he walks by us and, and he doesn't speak to us and he thinks that's, that's normal. So the church was really, really quite upset with him. Now, he tried to make sense of all that was going on, and so he got diagnosed, and he realized that he had autism spectrum disorder. Now, that helped him make sense of himself and why he did certain things, but then he also had to help his church make sense 
of who he is and what he was doing. So one Sunday, he took courage. He actually stood before the congregation and he shared, this is my diagnosis, this is what I have. And he did not know how the church would react. This is what they did. They stood up, they applauded, they cheered, and they shed tears. You know why? Because they were making sense of their pastor. They were making sense. Finally, we understand what's going on. And as they made sense together, they began to adjust his pastoral role, taking into account what they now knew of him. And what they discovered was that some of his so-called disabilities were actually strengths. And this is what he says. Traits such as repetitive behavior, the need for precision and routine, and even the way my brain processes language have with practice, prayer, and patience become assets. They have helped me develop into a visionary pastor and an excellent communicator. Friends, can I just say to you, no, no matter who you are, God has a place for you in his heart and in his kingdom. It might not always be the place that you want, but let's discover that place together as God's people. The priest must be able, but that ability is an ability that God uses and God shapes. Thirdly, the spiritual leader must be careful. Leviticus 22, verse 1 to 16. That section describes how the priest is to handle the holy things. Now, what are the holy things? In the offerings, there's a portion that goes to God, a portion that goes to the people, and a portion that goes to the priests. The portion that goes to the priests, that's the holy things. Those are the holy things. And these verses tell us that he must deal with these holy things with great care. In verses 1 to 9, he's told that he cannot eat these holy things while he is ceremonially unclean. In verses 10 to 16, he, God spells out who can and cannot eat the holy things. In other words, even though these things have been put into his hand, into his charge, he must handle these things with great care. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 28, to emphasize the seriousness of being a pastor and an elder, the passage says that God has obtained the church, the flock of God, with his own blood. The church, my friends, and all that is associated with the church is the holy thing of God in our day and in our age. The church and all that's associated with it, these are the holy things that God has labeled, handle with care. The word of God, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, the Sabbath, the finances of the church, the prayers of the church, the worship of the church, the music of the church, the relationships within the church, the children's ministry, the youth ministry, the witness of the church. All of these things, my friends, are the holy things of God that God himself has purchased by his own blood. And because these are holy things, my friends, spiritual leaders must handle them with great care. There's no room for flippancy. There's no room for callousness. 
There's no room for assuming things. All of these things must be handled with care. Finally, friends, the spiritual leaders must be accepted by God. If you look at Leviticus 22, verse 17 to 33, it describes the sacrifices that God will accept. Verse 19, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish. Verse 20, you shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. Verse 21, when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock, to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish. So what kind of a sacrifice, what kind of an animal sacrifice will God accept? It must be a perfect, without blemish sacrifice. Why, friends? Why is this needed? Look more carefully at verse 19. It says that this sacrifice is accepted for you. Look at verse 29. When you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. You know what this means, friends? Look at the list of blemishes that the priest is not allowed to have in verses 16 to 24. Compare that with the blemishes that the animal is not allowed to have. And you realize that even the priest who seems to be without blemish physically still needs an animal without blemish to be sacrificed for him to be accepted by God. You see, this animal sacrifice is accepted in the place of the one making the offering, including the priest. The animal dies so that the priest doesn't die. The animal's accepted so that you and I and the priest are accepted by Almighty God. It's a substitute sacrifice. So even those who are physically without blemish, they still need this animal sacrifice to be made accepted before God. And friends, these are the kinds of leaders and people that God wants. Those who are dedicated, those who are able, those who are careful, but ultimately those who are accepted by God through what God himself does for them. Back to the story of Joni Erickson Tata. She was very upset by what she had read. Does God really have a problem with my disability? Does my impairment offend him? She was very upset until she began to realize this. And this is what she says. A priest that had no physical defects was needed because he was a physical symbol of a future spiritual reality, the coming Messiah. God was looking for a physically perfect man as a priest to represent the spiritually perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what she saw and what all of us need to see, friends? There was no truly perfect man without blemish on earth other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the priests who were without physical blemish were not without blemish because they were sinners. Only Jesus was truly without blemish. And that changes everything. Hebrews 7, 26 and 27 says, Jesus was not only the priest 
who was holy, innocent, and unstained, without blemish. He was also the one who offered up himself. Jesus is the unblemished priest. Jesus is also the unblemished sacrifice. It's his death in our place. It's his acceptance. It's God's acceptance of his sacrifice that makes anyone, priest or person, acceptable in the eyes of God. And friends, this is our only hope of ever becoming the faithful people and leaders that deep inside we want to be. This is the only hope, the forgiveness, acceptance, and enabling that comes from the perfect high priest, Jesus Christ. So let me just say something practical in closing. You know, whenever we're confronted, especially as leaders, with our failures and our lack, one of the temptations we have is to explain it away. It's the air conditioning. It's my diet. It's a whole bunch of everything. It's my family. It's this. It's that. We explain it away. Why, friends? Because we can't bear to see ourselves in the mirror and to realize we really do fall short because we're so bound up in ministry being our identity. Friends, if you have a perfect high priest, you don't need to do that. You don't need to put up a strong front. You can come before God. You can even come before the church. And you can be honest about where you fail and where you fall short. Because that is not a measure of who you are. Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, that's the measure of who you are. So very practically, if we do not come to terms with where we fail and where we sin, we will never grow and become better as people and as priests and as leaders. The finished work of Christ on the cross gives us the freedom to be who we are in all of our failures and sins because he forgives he is the one who is our greatest champion, our greatest encourager, our greatest protector. The second thing is, friends, as we come to him and we are free in him and he is the one who commends us and he is the one who protects us, friends, it frees us. It frees us to give our lives absolutely and completely to him for his glory. Some of you are holding back from giving more of yourself to God because you think that he will shortchange you. He cannot shortchange you, my friends. He's given his own son for you. You are precious enough for him to give up his own son for you on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you again for the freedom. The freedom to come before you honestly with where we fail and where we sin and where we fall short and where we are hopeless because we are never hopeless our hope is found in christ and him alone so i pray father for each and every person here whether we are leaders or not that there will be that honesty to come before you and say what we need to say to you not explaining away our sins not explaining away our failures but coming honestly before you we also pray father that by your spirit you help us to and with the community of faith you help us to adjust our expectations of one another. Help us to keep our high standards. But at the same time, not, never use those high standards to crush one another. 
but rather to point each other to Christ, who is the one who enables us to keep the standards that he himself has set. And so we come before you, Lord, and we say we want to live for you because you have given yourself for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.